On this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, we talk with our good friend, Top 100 teacher, Brady Riggs, about the upcoming U.S. Open at Los Angeles Country Club, though given the stunning events of the last week regarding Live in the PGA Tour, we start with that topic, and then also talk about the stunning pro debut of Rose Zhang winning in her first time out on the LPGA Tour, and then we talk about the uh, Open upcoming at LACC. Uh, I will offer one note of correction. Um, when we talk about the load-winning score, um, I think uh, I erroneously was thinking that the existing scoring record for the U.S. Open was Tigers 272 at Pebble when he had that tremendous um, lapping the field victory in 2000. But um, I was forgetting about Rory's um, congressional U.S. Open win in that um, he lapped the field there, not quite as much as Tiger did at Pebble, but uh, Rory was 16 under for 268 at congressional back in 2011. Uh, and actually, there's also been a couple of other ones lower than Tiger's score. There was uh, Martin Keimer shot 271 at Pinehurst, and um, Gary Woodland shot 271 in the most recent U.S. Open at uh, Pebble. So offer that by way of correction. Uh, but uh, in any event, upcoming um, Brady Riggs on the Live Golf PGA Tour uh, transaction, Rosang, and the upcoming 123rd U.S. Open at Los Angeles Country Club. Well, welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy. And I am thrilled to have our good friend and reoccurring guest, Top 100 teacher, Brady Riggs, as we get ready for the U.S. Open. We'll talk about that and a few other things. Brady, how are you doing? Thank you for joining us. Of course, Larry. Great to see you as always. And may I compliment you on your choice of uh, upper garment wear today. I see that you have a hoodie on. Is that in my honor? It really is. Uh, <laughs> Brady is known uh, for those who haven't had the good fortune to take um, a personal lesson from Brady uh, over the years here in the LA area. Brady is known for his attire on the lesson tee which much more often than not features some sort of hoodie. So it is absolutely in your honor. I appreciate you noting that. No problem. I'm, 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 I feel honored and flattered. Thank you, Larry. So we've got lots going on, um, you know, and obviously we're, uh, we're taping this Sunday night before the week of the U.S. Open, um, coming back to L.A. for the first time in 75 years. Um, first time ever at LA Country Club. So there's lots to talk about with that. But before we get to that, lots of developments uh, in the last week in the world of golf, starting with um, a stunner last Ooh. Tuesday morning um, with the, um, I'm not going to call it a merger because I think that's where a lot of the confusion starts because it really isn't, but let's just call it a partnership not so much between Live and the PGA Tour, but between the Saudi um, Sovereign Wealth Fund, the PIF as it's called, um, and the PGA Tour. Uh, apparently, they have been negotiating, we are told, for seven weeks. That may be the most impressive thing, that 
They've been doing this for seven weeks and literally seemingly nobody knew about it. Certainly none of the players. But anyways, we have what appears to be a ceasing of hostilities. Um, litigation on both sides is um, is going to be canceled. Um, and as we understand the structure, there's a lot of to be worked out, but that uh, the Saudi, let's call it the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund is going to sort of invest in a new commercial entity that's going to be on top, uh, that's going to underneath that entity will be the PGA Tour, will be the DP World Tour, and will be whatever is left of live. Um, and uh, but that that top entity is going to have Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour commissioner as the CEO, but the with a significant investment, we don't know how much yet to TBD by the Saudi wealth fund, sovereign fund. Um, you know, it's um, there's a lot to say about it, uh, including it's kind of hard to square this with, you know, what at least one of the arguments we heard out of the commissioner's mouth and others uh, that, um, you know, you don't have to apologize ever for being a member of the PGA Tour. Um, a reference to, you know, the the uh, Saudi Arabia uh, being, you know, a backer of live and now they're partners with Saudi Arabia in essence. So um, anyways, with that having sort of thrown that on the table, what, what's kind of your reactions to all this? Well, it seems like a if there's a merger or a partnership, it's between Piff, Jay Monahan, and maybe two other people that were on the board. It certainly had nothing to do with the players. That's for sure. At least the that players is true. That, that remained on the PGA Tour and remained loyal, or so they thought, to defending the PGA Tour's brand and and sort of policy and idea about what golf should be a meritocracy. They had nothing to do with this merger partnership for sure. And who knows what the driving forces are? We still obviously don't know details. We may never know exactly why the PGA Tour was so hell-bent on keeping their charitable status, you know, as a nonprofit. Uh, did they spend so much in legal fees that they're feeling like they're on the verge of running out of money after they, you know, gave some a, a huge amount of money in back into the tour into these designated events? It's, it's hard to know exactly where this, maybe they're afraid of the discovery uh, of the charitable, you know, status and whatnot. It just seems like there's so many unanswered questions. And I think at this point, if it if it goes the route it looks like, it doesn't look like Liv will be around right. much longer. Uh, it could be different than what you know we're reading. We don't know at this point. But I think it would be really funny if everybody that was taking a victory lap and spiking the ball in the end zone and doing their best uh, Billy White Shoes Johnson celebration dance ends up with egg on their face because there is no live tool tour. There is no guaranteed money after their contracts are done. And now they have to find their way back to the PGA tour to play. And they have to somehow get back in the graces of the tour, which they've sued, which they've trashed and players to which they've spoken so poorly of, they're going to have to come back onto the PGA tour and suffer penalties from Monaghan and whatever other policy board members decide to, you know, these are the, these are the hoops you've got to go through to get back. It, it could be quite funny watching, watching them have to deal with it, which I'm oh so happy if they would just have to put a little, 
grab some humble pie at this point. It's just very disappointing that I, I don't want to see Phil Mickelson really happy ever. And <laughs> it's pretty interesting that he was sort of gloating and right immediately in the you know once the the news came out but we haven't heard much from him since then and the the chief of the idiots which i always thought was mickelson turns out to be jashamba with his ridiculous interview he gave on cnn <laughs> and it's only laughable because it's so stupid that he said that you know well, you know, mistakes, people need to be forgiven for their mistakes. And, you know, we just got to move on. You know, 9-11 wasn't that big a deal. It's 20 years ago. People need to get over it. Paraphrasing, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. And then Martin Keimer comes out today. And while I thought all along that he was just, you know, a broken down guy who couldn't play anymore, he turned out to be a massive idiot too today by saying that, oh, now what are the PJ Tour players going to do now that they have to play for, you know, play for this, this regime that they were criticizing all along? It just never ceases to amaze the, the level of stupidity of the professional golfer on any tour in the world. <laughs> this is where we are. But I think, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a reckoning for a lot of those guys if things go the way it seems like it's going to go. It seemed like Piff wanted their foot in the door on the PGA Tour. They've got that. Yeah, They now have basically right of first refusal to anybody else coming in to invest into the product. Exactly. A boatload of money in it. They're going to have, they're have a foothold now, if not a stranglehold on where the tour is going. And we all know that this team thing was ridiculous and, and it's in the format that they were using. It didn't mean anything, but it's going to be really interesting to see if those guys can come back and what that looks like for them to get back in the good graces of the PGA tour. And for the guys like Sergio Garcia and, you know, Westwood and Taylor Gooch and Patrick Reed and all these guys that sued the tour and couldn't stop talking trash about it. It's going to be difficult for them to come back. You know, yeah, I, and I, I, yeah. the last thing on this is that the guys that did make a decision based on what they thought was right. And you can use whatever what about is and you want to for what about China and blah, blah, blah. The fact that guys like Rory stood up, if they did for what they believed in, and it didn't, they didn't get backed up by the tour that they were defending, it doesn't in any way, you know, take away from the fact that they were people of character and decided to do what they thought was right. I mean, I think I don't think they should think any less of their decision to do that or regret the fact that they didn't take money from the Saudis at this point, for especially from you know, the public investment fund. I think they did the right thing if that's what they believed in. And if they didn't get the money for it, then just because in the end, it looks like financially it would have worked out for them anyway, doesn't mean that it was the right decision to make. And I give those guys plenty of credit for standing up for what they believe in. And we should have more people doing that. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. Just to kind of fill in a little, and you touched on a lot of things, all of which I agree with, but just to kind of fill in a little bit for people who may not sort of know all the structural details. I mean, it really is, it really is that Monahan, who's the CEO of this entity, is really going to be in control of Live, as well as the PGA Tour, as well as the DP World Tour. And so, to your point, you know, I think it is, and, and you're right. We don't. Who knows all the reasons? But for best we can ascertain, we know there were two big financial drains. Right. One was the litigation costs because they're fighting against 
you know, uh, a person on the other side of the litigation that has, you know, 600, 700 billion dollars. So that's a tough, you know, adversary to sort of keep pace with. And the other financial thing was these elevated purses, the elevated events, the purses. I think they were sponsors were chafing at it. They were eating up their reserves. So there was definitely financial pressure. And both those things get eliminated with this. So I think you could sit here and say, well, the tour had sort of seen around corners three years ago. We could have avoided all this. And I get that. But, you know, you can kind of at this point, you are where you are and you kind of have to only move forward. And where they were, I understand the sense of doing what they did. And, and as you said, you know, for for PIF, the, the, the Saudi sovereign wealth fund, this is a huge win because I, I think as you were kind of alluding to, live was kind of a means to an end. The end was they wanted to be a player in professional golf, like they are with Premier League soccer teams, like they are with Formula One. And, you know, live was a means to an end. And so, you know, if they can get, as they seem to have, which in your, you, you, you described it better than I did. It is a right of first refusal, you know, in that top entity. But if they can sort of be in that seat and and have that, you know, financial entree into the tour, so much for live. And so, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But I, I am totally with you that, you know, a win given where they were today for the PGA Tour, a big win for the Saudi Investment Fund, for all the players who defected to live, mm-hmm. not so much. Um, because, you know, we'll see, but it seems like live is going to be no more. Um, and I don't know where they're going to be playing other than the majors for those who are qualified. And again, just to buttress what you're saying, we don't know the terms of entree back, but you know, we've heard what Monahan has said in the players meetings and to his employees, and it ain't going to be a freebie. Um, and you know, whether I think it's going to be case specific and, you know, I think some of these players were, um, how should I say it, you know, a little bit more hostile, in various mm-hmm. ways to the PGA tour than others. And I think that's going to get reflected in what the terms are of whatever fines they pay and, or what the terms of entree back into the tour are. And then just your last point, which I also agree with, you know, <clears throat> the Rory's and the rest of them that didn't take the money and, and, you know, for, for the, you know, good and valid reasons they articulated. And, um, you know, I think, what we're hearing, right, is that there's they're going to be compensated, if you will, for being a loyalist. Um, and it sounds like it actually may be they might get equity stakes in this top entity, you know, and, and the people who are trying to come back from live aren't going to be eligible for that. So, uh, you know, it's I, I, I'm totally with you. I just think, you know, and you said it perfectly for the people who Tuesday were spiking the football fills tweet you know awesome day today or you know did Mm -hmm. i miss anything all of the you know um i think you and i have talked about this and i i I said this i've said this to a couple of people and they who are our age who smile at this i mean i always view phil as sort of the eddie haskell Mm -hmm. of professional golf for those who remember leave it to beaver and i mean it's you know he was all sort of you know smiles and everything now we're not hearing so much from him anymore so We'll we'll see what happens, but um, really, it was really a stunner, right? I mean, I just, I, I I don't think anyone was expecting that, but you know, when you hear it all, you can sort of understand. But um, uh, you know, Rory's um, Rory, I think you know, 
not only a stand-up guy during this whole thing, but I don't know, you probably saw his press conference. I did. You know, I mean, that was impressive. I, I think he's just impressive. He he did the press conference that Monaghan should have done. Right. He didn't do. Right. You know? And I would say that this of Rory, you know, back in the day, the idea was that Jack and Arnie and guys that created the PGA Tour from the PGA of America, they, it was about the players and they wanted to be the players tour. And he, in the finest traditions of those two guys, is carrying the torch. Totally. I, I don't know. I don't know where Tiger is. We haven't heard from him on this topic. He's probably being careful about what he's going to say and how he's going to say it. But the difference between Rory and what 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 he's sort of trying to to keep alive in the game and on the PGA Tour versus what Phil did. I mean, the guys that left. It, it, I think what Brandel said was true. You know, unbelievable narcissism. Just the highest level to to leave the tour and, and go off just to make the money, especially with who is paying the money versus right. what Rory's done here. The class that he's displayed, I think it's just fantastic. And, you know, he, he probably has suffered as a player for taking the stance that he has, you know, carrying the burden that he's had to carry in all the press conference, all the things he's had to do. And I don't think that that's going to go away. I think he's going to continue to have to carry the burden for the tour, but he's, he's done, he's done himself proud. And I think his legacy is going to be rewarded for it down the road because he's, I, he's a class guy. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, as long as we're talking about Rory, I'm just thinking, listening to you. I mean, you're such a keen observer, um, you know, as, as, you know, being one of the best teachers in the country and such a keen observer of swings in the game. I mean, when you look at him, um, you know, we're, such a phenom, you know, wins the U.S. Open at Congressional by a million. It's been now, I think it's 2014, right? Mm -hmm. So it's nine years since that summer when he won both the British and the PGA. So nine years since he's won a major. Such an incredible talent. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say a generational, you know, driver of the ball, you know, just superb. Um, but you see things. I watch him at Memorial as I'm sure you did, um, all these wedges, of course, all wedges, he has nothing but wedges. He hits it so far. All, the, all these wedges into greens, missing greens. I didn't follow it too much today, but I'm sitting there because, you know, I see, well, he's had great round yesterday. seems like he's right in position at the Canadian Open today. And I'm just looking on the front side, sitting there, no birdies, two bogeys. You know, he was totally irrelevant today. I mean, what are you, if anything, seeing that, you know, it, it, this inconsistency where, you know, he'll shoot a 64 in the final round of the Masters last year. He'll shoot a 66 yesterday in the Open. And then he just, the variation in his scores just, you know, we, we're used to sort of the Nicholas's or even more of the Scotty Scheffler's these days, you know, they'll always find a way to sort of keep in it, you know, whether even if they're not hitting. But Roy just seems to have these big numbers, right? He hasn't had his A game at the right time for a long time. Right. And I don't think he's even had his B game at the right time. You know, it seems like he's playing his worst events in the events that he wants to play the best in, which is sad. You know, it's a guy who seems to be pressing, lack of patience with himself, you know, getting frustrated, almost expecting something bad to happen, you know? I mean, 
losing the open at St. Andrews was really sad because oh, he did play so well, but it seems like every time that he's not winning, something's just so not there, you know, whether it's his putting like it was at St. Andrews or, you know, his wedges currently. And then all of a sudden the driver goes, I mean, he's, he's a guy like there's certain players in the world that I, and I think you could probably put him in probably three guys, you know, it's probably, it's probably Rom Scheffler and Rory that if they play their best, you can't beat them. And if they don't play their best, they're still going to be in the tournament. I mean, Scheffler is, I mean, he had, he lost 18 shots to McCarthy the weekend before in putting oh, during the I week know. and only lost by one shot. I mean, if he puts at tour average, he wins by seven shots, you know, so he's, He's he's he seems to be like you said the guy that's always in contention still, and Rom is a little more inconsistent with it. But you know his ball striking has been there, and you do expect and and Rom's been winning majors. You know, Rory just it just seems like every time, it's not just that he's not won; it's in so many that he hasn't even been around for the weekend. Right. You know, either missing a cut or having no relevance on the weekend, one or the other. And I don't think it's technical at this point. I mean, the guy knows, you know, he, he hits the ball. When he hits it good, he hits it amazing. But somewhere in there, the the joy of playing the game and competing that he had as a kid and coming out there and, you know, kind of wanting to dominate and having a bit of a chip on his shoulder and, you know, feeling like you can't do any wrong, he hasn't able, been able to come back to that space again. And And every player matures over time and has to go through that challenge. But it seems like Rory's had a longer period of time than he should have, where he was just unable to conjure up what is clearly, you know, the, probably the best overall game of his generation. He just hasn't been able to find it when he needed to. And if he's won, you know, he won two Canadian Opens in a row. Who cares? You know, it's like, yeah, we get it. You won the Tour Championship. Who cares? It does. There's four times a year it matters. It's the only time it matters. It's four times a year. Even in the Ryder Cup, like you could be, nobody's going to judge your career on how you played on the Ryder Cup. I hate to tell you, Sergio, but nobody's going to judge your career on that. <laughs> Ian Poulter, nobody's going to judge your career on how well you played in the Ryder Cup. I mean, you, you can always use it as a feather in your cap, but it comes down to four tournaments a year. I don't even care. They can talk about the players being in the fifth major all they want to. It is not a major. There's four tournaments. There's only year. four. There's only and four. He hasn't done it. You know, he hasn't yeah. been able to conjure that up. And that's, it's a shame because I, 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 I think the guy's great for the game. I really do. And I would love for him to be really neat for him after all this junk to, to win another one, you know, soon. But I don't know. It's just every time there just seems to be another reason why he wasn't able to do it. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, uh, well, hopefully we'll see what happens. It's got two more this year, the rest of the year. Going over to the women's game. Um, I, I, you know, uh, which I know you're a particularly keen observer of, um, Rose Zhang has as good an amateur career in her two years in college as I think we've seen. I mean, I, you know, I, so I always sort of have trepidation to sort of compare anyone to Tiger, but I'm trying to think in the post Tiger, you know, who has had you know, after Tiger, the kind of amateur record she has had, I think it was almost 150 weeks ranked as the number one women's amateur. And I, I would argue is the number one amateur period, but, um, and, you know, 
won the U.S. Women's Amateur, won the Junior Amateur, won at Augusta, um, repeats as NCAA champ. Um, fortunately, the team didn't get it done this year like they did last year, but she individually repeats and turns pro after and wins 12 tournaments, which is a staggering number in the college game, right? I think Phil may have the record of 16, but that was over at least three years, I think, at Arizona State. And so, I mean, 12, I think, is it maybe ties Tiger, maybe one ahead, whatever. I mean, it's it in that one ahead, one ahead yeah. It's in, in that neighborhood, which is a pretty high rent district. Um, and then she turns pro, and my gosh, the first week, and you're out there. We'll talk a little bit why you were out there in a minute, but you're out at Liberty National. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets it done. And what was so interesting, it kind of brought back watching her that Sunday. What would she kind of had at the Augusta Women's Amateur early this year, where you know, I think she had shot maybe 66 on Saturday at Liberty, and she those first two rounds for the Augusta, which weren't at Augusta National, another course there, and then they cut it and go to Augusta. And she had a big lead in that one. This one was a two-shot lead, but she didn't have her fastball on Sunday, but she just grits it out and gets in the playoff. And then on the second playoff hole, fun, fun, right? The first playoff, she misses the par putt on 18. She has the exact same putt in the first time they play 18. She buries it, and then it's that incredible hybrid. Anyways, victory in her first pro tournament you don't see that very often love to hear kind of what your impressions are of of her as a player and kind of what you saw yeah i mean her amateur career is interesting because most women that are that good turn pro before they get to college you don't see a player play a year or two of college usually you know they're turning pro at 17 at 18 years old so she had a, a lengthier amateur career than most women that are on the LPGA tour because she chose to stay an amateur, not because she needed to be an amateur for sure. Um, you know, like Lydia Ko, she turned pro before she got there. And so many right, LPGA right. tour players have turned before they got there. So I don't, I'm not in any way trying to minimize her, her performances and am because it's ridiculous, but it does. It's one of the reasons why, it, I don't think it's been done. You know, I don't think that all the great players before her, especially over the last 10 or 15 years, have gone the route of playing college golf and staying in AM. So that, with that being said, she was by far the best amateur in the world, male, female, the last three, four years. I mean, she's just been ridiculous. And that golf course was not easy. You know, I mean, the, you had to be precise out there. It's not that the rough was that high. It was high, but it wasn't that high especially around the greens, but there's a lot of runoffs and that thing was going to challenge you in every way it could. And it did. And she was up to the challenge. And, you know, I think as impressive as her whole game is, which is very impressive. I thought she had the most interesting mindset going into the week. And it's a mindset that she's had as far as I've heard her talk about her game, which is zero expectations. You know, she never has any expectations going into an event. And it's a really interesting way to look at it. I can't imagine Tiger would have that same mindset. <laughs> point first, right. You know, he's always expecting to win where she's not expecting to win at all. She doesn't have any expectations going in. And so by her definition, it lives her, gives her an opportunity to just take the rounds as they come, not force it, you know, just play with what she has at that, that day on that course. And man, it's worked, right. I mean, it, it's been, 
nearly perfect. You know, winning that many college events is not an easy thing to do. There's a lot of really good college golfers. There sure are. And winning, you know, AMs and NCAAs and all the stuff that she's won and the Augusta National Women's Am. I mean, she is she is the real deal. And she's probably the most exciting amateur to come into the game, you know, and turn pro in maybe a decade at least. So it's really fun. I think for you as a Stanford alum watching her play <laughs> I think for the rest of us, you know, I hope she gets the coverage and the attention that she deserves. It's yeah. I have to, I just, just on that coverage thing, I, I, I was a little disappointed in the LPGA's um, coverage. I mean, and, and I mean, here you have this, this didn't come out of left field. You knew right. she was turning pro you knew how celebrated she was. I mean, right. I can only think like if this, if we had the equivalent on the PGA tour, there would have been wall to wall social media coverage through the PGA tours, social right. media channels and the like. And I mean, I think Peacock may have put an extra hour in of coverage or something, but I mean, I'm just sitting there trying to find out over the weekend what's going on. And it's like, I, I just felt like that was a drop ball. I think it was too. And, you know, it wasn't like she was going against a no-name in the playoff. No. <laughs> right. I mean, Jennifer Cupcho is really good. You know, she won the ANA. She was, she won the best national women's am a couple of years before. And she's one of the best young American women in the world. And I thought what was so interesting was she, I don't think any of the, the women out there look at her as this, oh, she's the new, young player and she's got to earn her way. I know they all know she's good, you know, and you can see it sort of on Cupcho's face when she lost the playoff. Yes. She was, yeah. She was pouring water on. Right. You know, supposed to celebrate, but I, I mean, it wasn't like, I, I don't think she was surprised in any way, nor is anyone else surprised. You know, she's that good. So I, I this is not, this is not a one-off. This is a player who's going to be around for a while. And then she goes back to school and doesn't play the following week because she has to take finals and move out of her right. dorm room right. to hang with her teammates a little bit more. The other thing that was kind of interesting about that week was there was, I think there were 24 uh, AJGA players uh, in the field right. Right. that played with them. They played a different set of tees, but they played with the LPGA right. players two rounds, I think it was. And she was hanging out with them the whole time. Yeah, that's who she. So, that's who she's been playing against lately. Those are her peers, you know. I mean, right. it's not LPGA tour players are. So she's beating all the LPGA tour players and hanging out with all the AJGA girls, which is just, it shows you the change, man. This is a new, this is the new one. You know, this is the, the torch is being passed and this is the next big time player in the game on either side of the, the gender wall. Right. You know, she's very, very, very good. And there's no holes in that game. She's complete. So let me, let me ask you about that. That final, that just one final Rose thing is, you know, when you think of sort of phenoms, because mm -hmm. her record is that of a phenom, as you were talking about. But if you think of her, you go back in my, you know, memory, you go back to Michelle Wee. I mean, you know, she was such a phenom because, you know, she's, what is she? I mean, she barely almost qualifies to make the tour at the Sony Open by one shot. It's a men's tour as a teenager. She had all those years at the Dinah Shore where she was committing. I mean, I think ultimately, even though Michelle, we won a U.S. Open, I don't think she panned out the way we all thought. But she was so 
dominant, you know, so, so not dominant is not the right word, but so, you know, in our consciousness, because, you know, here's this teenager who's hitting at a million miles, it's six mm-hmm. foot tall, she's got this long swing, you know, it was like, you know, people called her the big wheezy right after Ernie Els, yeah. the big easy. And so you had her. I mean, and more recently, you see someone like Nellie Corda, who, again, you know, the PGA Tour players just gush over her because not so much the power that Michelle Wee had, but just the the swing looks so beautiful and perfect. And, you know, Rose doesn't sort of come across, you know, as someone who's this like, wow, you know, this is an athlete of the last 20 years, you know, a right. wow. She just like, you know, is an incredibly skilled player, right? I mean, it's just, there, there's no holes, but there, at least from my eyes, I'm curious what you think, there's nothing that sort of says, oh my gosh, you know, the showstopper, but the record is a showstopper. Yeah, she's she's the best compliment you could ever have as a player. She's boring. You know, she's just super boring. There's just nowhere to look. There's nothing that's wrong. It's just she's just that good. You know, I, I think it's you're right. There's there's a lot of there's players in the women's game that are that people talk about. You know, everybody talks about Nellie, and Nellie's a great, great player. A great swing. You know, it makes perfect sense to talk about her. When Michelle Wee came out, you know, and she was trying to qualify and her representatives were blowing it, trying to make her play in men's event and all right, those things. Right, right, right. I mean, she had, her golf swing was, was so good. Unfortunately, it became so not good. Yeah, I know. I moves on, and that's a whole other conversation. But, <laughs> but the idea was, you know, she was different. You know, she was different. She was just this unbelievably tall, athletic kid who had a right. gorgeous swing and hit it forever. And right. we talked about her, you know. And there is no it factor to Roger. Right, exactly. She has no it factor. She's just really good. You know, she's really, really good. And that's kind of cool. You know, it's neat to see somebody just be that good at what she's choosing to do. And she's going to beat everybody a lot because she's really good. For sure. And before we leave the women's game, it's saying, uh-huh. I guess, at Liberty National. Yes. Um, and for people who've listened to this, you know, I personally... Uh, Brady spans the globe in terms of the types of students that he takes on. I mean, he's got me and he and I have been uh, together for probably 12 more years at this point. But, you know, so and I am I am not, uh, you know, threatening anyone in terms of any titles of any sort. Um, But, you know, Brady also has the other end of the spectrum, people who play on both tours and um including uh, a notable woman golfer that you were tutoring when she was winning back-to-back U.S. women's amateurs. And um, uh, sounds like you're back working with her. Yes, I'm back with Danielle King. Um, we parted ways on the range. Probably, I think, Larry, you were there when we when we had our last lesson. Yeah. I don't know how many years ago. It seems like it was about a decade ago or something. Yeah. Um, you know, what's, what's good about us is that we always remain in a good space with each other. I root for her regardless. You know, there's players that, that in this job, you get fired by a lot of players and some end not so great and others end okay. And, you know, with her and I, we end just fine. So over the years, whenever we had occasion to talk to each other, it was always, you know, I'm always rooting for her because, you know, I, I, I've known her since she was a kid and she asked me to help her out about a month ago. So I've been helping her. I was out at Liberty National with her, which was fun. She had a top 10, which was good. Yeah. 
you know, you'll never find a more ferocious competitor than, than Danielle Kang. I mean, I look at her and Rose Zhang and I, I can't think of any more completely different people than those two, yeah, but it's sure. cool because they were both, you know, number one amateurs in the world and they're both great players, but one of them is, you know, enjoying the journey and, you know, has no expectations. And the other one isn't doing that. So she's <laughs> trying to maximize at all times. It is, you know, feisty as anyone I've ever met. So she's fun to coach. And obviously I'm hoping that she continues to make some progress and play well. So as do we, cause she is a tremendous talent. I mean, yeah. you know, to, to good win it good for the game and, you know, such a great competitor. I mean, to win, two straight U.S. women's amateur. Of course, she's had success as a pro, too. I don't mean to ignore that. But, I mean, I always think to sort of make it through match play, mm-hmm. you know, two years in a row, I mean, that's so hard. Of course, Tiger did it six years in a row, but, that you know, that's Tiger. But, I mean, that's it, pretty impressive stuff. It is. She's, and she do, and then she won a north-south in between there, too. Yeah. So she had three straight match play events that she won. Tiger only did six, you know, <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable, ridiculous. So we will keep our eye on her and we're, yes. we're, we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully, you know, see her, uh, you know, continue to do, to, to play well. Um, U.S. Open. Um, so you and I, of course, are here in Los Angeles. Um, yeah. You're a native. Um, I, I'm not, although I've been here 26 plus years at this point. Um, and, um, you know, it's, um, LA is a great golf town. It's got it in so many different ways. It's got some great public facilities and some notable private clubs. And um, it is kind of hard to fathom. It's been 75 years since the US Open has been to the second largest metropolitan area mm-hmm. in our country. Um, and, uh, but they're back, um, first time at LA country club. Um, I think it's fair to say that LA country club, which is a, you know, for those who aren't familiar with 36 hole facility on, I would argue probably the most valuable non-coastal real estate, um, of any golf course. Cause it's right in the heart on the bordering Beverly Hills. And, and it is a big facility with 36 hole. The North course has always been, you know, the championship course. That's where they'll be playing it this week. Um, we haven't seen that much of it. It historically has been a course that um, has not really opened its doors. Um, unlike, say, Riviera, which, of course, we see every year um, for the L.A. Open. Um, but, yeah, you and I are the same. way. We're going to call the Crosby the Crosby. We're going to call the LA Open the LA. We don't care what the sponsors are. So I'm calling it the right. LA Open. So, um, anyways, but we're they they have they agreed a number of years ago to host the U.S. Open. Now they've actually agreed to a couple, and the Women's Open's coming there in 2032. We saw it at the Walker Cup, which was a tremendous Walker Cup team in retrospect. Right, we had Scheffler, Morikawa. When you think about that in retrospect, there's been some pretty impressive people. Anyways, now we're going to see it for the U.S. Open. What are you expecting to see? Well, you never know. <laughs> Weather's going to be a factor because it's not going to be warm. Right. You know, middle of June here, and we're going to probably be in the low 70s most of the week. Yeah. Which is going to be, there's even a little bit of rain in the forecast. Obviously, it's five days away. Who knows what's going to happen with that? So, um, I've heard from a member that they 
were disappointed that it didn't get warmer because the rough didn't grow out as much as they were hoping because it wasn't warm enough for it to grow out to Bermuda. The whole course is Bermuda in case people don't know, you know, while Riviera is famously a, the best Kikuya you can play on, which is yep. fantastic. It is. Uh, Kikuya at LA Country Club. It is Bermuda. So while the rough may not appear to be long, it can drop down to the bottom of that very quickly. Sure. Those we've seen posted recently last day or two online have shown that. Yep. If that's the case, you won't be able to control the ball coming out of the rough and the greens are supposed to be very, very firm and that could challenge players. You know, George Thomas designed the course to be a course within a course. So every hole has its own unique angles to play based on where the tee is or where the hole location is huge changes in distances, especially on the par threes can be yeah, be seen sure. from day to day based on the whole location wind. So strategy will be important on this course. It's not overly long, like a lot of U S open golf courses, and it certainly isn't tight, you know, where a lot of fairways in the U S open are often 28 to 33 yards wide. There are several that are 40 to 50 yards wide. Right. So I don't see driving accuracy as being at a premium. Um, that brings in some players that may, you know, if that was the case, not be a factor. Uh, it's going to be a second shot course for sure. So it'll be a lot like Augusta in that way, I think. Um, they're all learning the course sort of at the same time. There's players like Cantley that's played there dozens of times, having been at UCLA and, you know, some other courses, like you said, that have had Walker Cup experiences, players that played out there. But I think overall, it's going to be pretty new for almost everyone that's going there. So there's not a lot of advantage to having a lot of experience in the U.S. Open. It's not like a normal Open. So all of those things can make it pretty interesting, I think. So it's going to be – the weather will be a factor. If it does get warm and it firms it out a little bit more, it should be more interesting. But it just seems like that's not going to be, you know, a, an element of this tournament this week. And if that happens, the scores could be pretty low. Uh one of the, the members that, that I'm talking about played with Charlie Hoffman a couple of weeks ago out there. And he said that the front nine's playing very easy comparative to the back nine. So if a player starts out in the front, you might see them go low in the first nine holes, three or four under, and then the back nine back up a little bit. So that's something that we may see. So we're all learning kind of at the same time about how LA North is going to play in this, in this tournament. So it should be fun to watch. Yeah, it's, you know, there is such speculation because you're going to a venue for the first time in terms of what the scoring will be. I mean, we don't have a lot of data. Um, and, of course, it's prepared for U.S. Open. I mean, people remember Max Homa um, in the uh, conference championships that were there um, when he was at Cal shooting 61. Um, it's a pretty low number. Um, and... Uh, but it'll be set up a little differently. And as you point out, exactly, the fairways are wider. Um, I don't know how bouncy they'll be and, you know, whether, you know, they'll, they will effectively play less narrower. But in terms of actual with, yeah, a good 15 yards wider on average, yeah. I think I would. we were talking, I, you know, we had some um, interaction with the USGA because I'm on the SCGA board. And John Bodenhammer was who's, who's the guy who directs the championships for the USGA said, I think Wingfoot average, just to give a comparison, 28 yards hmm. on width, and these are 43. That's a big difference. Um, so um, that'll be interesting. Um, 
The um, the other thing that's sort of interesting about it is it's not an easy course to get a lot of spectators around. No. With the barranca that run, runs through it um, on the front nine. And so this is going to be a different U.S. Open in a couple of ways, including they're really limiting the number of tickets. Um, I think it's 22,000 a day. But I think like 14,000 of those are sort of corporate hospitality type mm. tickets. So in terms of just the public kind of milling around, it's like 8,000, which is a really small number. So I, I'm just sort of curious, you know, we're used to, you know, having certainly double that total number of people and, and not quite as much corporate um, hospitality as I understand they're going to have there. So I'm just curious if it's going to be, we're going to hear the roars, you know, uh, I mean, there's nothing like the Augusta roars, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's just with that few people walking around, it could be kind of different. Yeah. I think 40,000 people walking around Torrey Pines. Right. You know, walking around Beth Page, some of the bigger venues where they have enough room. It's going to feel very different to have half that number of people on property at LA. But like you said, I don't know that they're going to be spread out evenly on 18 holes. No, you know, there's right. a lot of holes that are going to be difficult to access. Like I, from what I understand, you won't even be able to see the tee shot on one unless you have special access right. into the tee box area, right around that clubhouse. So that's interesting because the tee is going to be on the putting green on the first hole. So Correct. it'll be a different feeling out there for sure. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Chambers Bay, you know, where they built these enormously tall grandstands, which looked really weird when you're on property because they weren't that wide, but they were really tall. And there were holes at Chambers you couldn't watch. Like the eighth hole at Chambers Bay was a par five. You couldn't see the hole. There were no spectators on the hole, which is super weird, you know. So there's – I think we may – you may feel like that if you're out there watching, like you can't go out and watch 18 holes necessarily. I think you're going to have a tough time navigating the route through the Baranka, being able to see a lot of different tee shots and whatnot. But, you know, I, I think it's just all a brand new learning experience for LA country club, you know, to watch a tournament at that facility is going to be really interesting, but I'm sure they'll jam pack enough people towards the end of the round for it to be, you know, what it should be at the end, which is loud you know, when something's going on, we should be able to, should be able to hear a massive roar. If somebody makes a putt coming down the stretch and you should be able to know what that is, but you know, it's so different than Augusta, right? I mean, you've been there and there are no yeah. corporate Augusta. No, there is no I, hole I where, you know, I you know. walk down the side of the hole and, and watch the hole. If you want to, you know, obviously there's certain holes like the left side of 13 and whatnot, but, but the basic idea is there are no corporate tents taking up space. Right. Augusta National. It's all about the patrons and being able to have access to the golf course. So this is not that venue. And because of that it won't feel at all like going to the Masters. Doesn't mean it can't be great, but it's not going to have that feel. And it's it's I don't know, it's it's going to be weird to to not be able to see certain things. It's it's probably going to be a tournament that if you go to one day, it'll be fun to go see what the course looks like. But you might want to watch it on Sunday on TV. Yeah, because you get a better view of it. I think that's probably right. Let's talk. Let's talk for a minute about the course itself a little bit. You touched mm -hmm. on it. It's a wide course, um, a second shot course. Um, I think that is totally fair. Um, you've 
obviously played it a lot of times. You've played a lot of the great courses around uh, a lot of times. How do you view it overall as a test of golf? Um, and, and, you know, compared to, you know, other types of U.S. Open type venues? I mean, it's it doesn't have the grandness of a Shinnecock, you know, where you're you have the wide open spaces and you've got to hit the driver and bomb it all day. And, you know, you've got some more room where Shinnecock feels big, you know, L.A. feels trickier, you know, in some ways, especially around the greens. It's not it doesn't have that that feel of, you know, a bomber's paradise sort of, you know, I know us open, you got to hit fairways, but Tory's like, you know, as roomy as you could ever be right. There's right. so much Tory and the green complexes are not that interesting or challenging. Right. Right. Well, this is so much different, right? It's going to be very subtle. You're going to have to have the right lines coming into greens to be able to get near certain flags. So there'll be a little bit more, you know, I think strategy involved in playing some of the courses that are in the U S open rotation. Um, I think pebbles that way to a certain degree too, right? Cause it's not overly long, but you have to have, you have to have the ball in the right places at the right times on that golf course. Right. This should feel and, like yeah. that to a certain degree too. A pebble, the greens are so small. I got to think they're probably right. smaller than LA, but, but yeah, I, yeah, I take your point. Um, yeah, it's just going to be it's going to be really interesting. It always is interesting the first time that the USGA goes to sure. a new venue. Um you're uh, always a good prognosticator. Oh. Um uh, you got any um uh let me I'm going to ask you two ways. Who who you, I'll give you sort of two choices, like a favorite in your mind and then maybe kind of a semi dark horse that you would say people wouldn't expect this person to do well, but they may well do well. I don't see how Scheffler, you cannot take the guy. He's in the yeah. top 20 every week. He's in the top five, sometimes putting last in the field. I know it's know, amazing. Which, it's unbelievable. His ball striking just not wavered. You know, it's just been so unbelievably consistent that if he makes anything, he should win. You know, he's, he's hitting that good. He's hitting as good as anybody has in a long time. So right. I think out of the favorites, I, I just can't not see him doing well. You know, it just doesn't seem possible that he couldn't play well. You know, it's you. what's been weird is the last few weeks on tour have been some tough golf. You know, Canada wasn't as hard, but there were stretches in Canada that were really difficult. The start of the round was really difficult. You know, um, Memorial. I mean, Jack's place Memorial played as tough as it's so I've hard. seen it. Yeah. So hard, right? And even Colonial was not. An yeah, easy Colonial. Play. I was surprised. Colonial, they they did not rip it up at all. Yeah, it was firm out there. So, you know, these last few events have been sort of a good warm up, if you will, for an open venue. So, out of that group of players that are in Tier B, you know, um, I think Terrell Hatton for some reason is on the top of my mind, another good week this week. He seems yeah, to play. Yeah, he has strong finish. He just missed the playoff, yeah. Right. So he's had a good few weeks, and he's hitting it really good. And he's hard not to root for because he's so hard on himself on the golf course. Oh, my course. gosh. He sure is. It's fantastic to watch somebody just be kind of like the rest of us and be frustrated all the time. But, you know, he's he's playing well, so I'm, I'm, I like, I like the ball striking from him. You know, that, that makes him appealing. I think this week – kind of feels like a, a master's sort of in terms of who you would look at. So I, I'm not interested in the putters this week as much as I am the ball strikers. 
Interesting. Okay. How about you? Uh, well, I'm I'm totally with you on Scheffler. I mean, I just the statistics on him are just mind blowing. I think his strokes gain T to green. I mean, every category besides putting, um, you know, at the Memorial was not only led the field, it was, I think, fractionally behind BJ in 2004 at the uh, Boston tournament as being second all time. Right. And you, as you pointed out, I mean, if he had just an average putting, he wins by seven. I think if he had Denny McCarthy's putting, he would have won by like, way into double digits 16 16 yeah right i was just it's just nuts and and um you know i i mean let's just talk about him for one second i'll give my other picks i mean when as someone speaking personally here who's been in the putting wilderness uh for lengthy periods of time during their career i mean it's it takes an awfully strong mental person which is not me to sort of not let that infect affect and infect the rest of your game you know because you sort of get like how close do i have to hit this ball in order to sort of make a birdie and stuff but he has been doing this i mean he was he for for a while now right i mean he his putting was lousy at the masters um and it's been you know i mean he says he's putting better and the ball's not going the whole whatever the results have been kind of consistently poor for a while now and you know how but yet his ball striking is just continues to be like all time type stuff um sure. how does that do you, do you ever think god is that going to end up infecting i mean what's going to happen first the putting's going to turn or is this going to just infect the rest of your game and does anybody know the answer to that question i mean this, if anyone would you would <laughs> oh my goodness i would say like he needs to change something you know, you need to change the putter. You need to change. Something's got to change. You cannot continue to do what you've been doing. You know, I mean, it's admirable that you stick with the same putter and the same idea and continue to do it, knowing that over time it's bound to turn around. But this it, historically good ball striking to not result in, you know, a massive streak of wins is unfortunate because no matter how good you are, you're not going to hit this good your entire career. I mean, you hoped that he would have gotten a lot out of these tournaments that he's hitting it this good, but he and he clearly is finishing the top 10 a lot, but I mean, he should be winning a lot of these tournaments and he's not winning these tournaments. So I don't know what his plans are from the putting standpoint if he's changed putters, which would be a really good idea in my opinion at this point. You know, change the routine a little bit. Whatever it is, he needs to change something or, you know, there's no reason to think that all of a sudden he's going to turn it around on a dime if he hasn't done it to this point this year because he hasn't gotten it fixed you know it's still in the same space and he's still hitting it as good or even better than he was and if he just needs to find something that he can make a putt he didn't make one putt over 10 feet you know at memorial which is crazy and that's he was crazy right 18 shots behind Danny mccarthy in strokes game putting and he was number one strokes gained tee to green, number one off the tee, number one approach to the green, and number one around the green. Around the green, scrambling, it's right. Still, right. It's still amazing. He just can't putt. You know, it's almost like just take your wedge on the green and put with the wedge at this point. Something's got to be better than what you're doing. You know, and it's hard to win. It's hard to win the biggest tournaments in the world if you're not at least putting 
as good as the field. You know, think of Cam Smith last year when he won the Open Championship. He, I mean, Rory hit it so much better than he did. He didn't make anything, and Cameron Smith made everything. And that was enough to win the tournament. You know, it can be the deal breaker if you're if you're not hitting it in the top five to ten of the guys that week. If you putt really good, you can still steal the tournament. Where if you're in the top five in ball striking, you just have to putt decent. You don't have to putt great. Just have to putt decent. But Scheffler hasn't been able to do that either. No. So I hope he changes. Sure. Well, it's one of the cool things about this week is knowing where all the players are sort of in their games is, you know, we've had a lot of golf played this year, right? A lot of different tournaments been played. We kind of know where people's games are. So it's not like the masters where you don't really have a great idea because they haven't played a major yet. We, we don't know the golf course all that well. If you haven't played it a lot, we certainly don't know it in a tournament setting at all on the PGA tour level. So that's a, a, a wild card. I mean, the greens were moved. I know you remember where the second green used to yeah. be. And, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. You know, that's not there anymore. Where the eighth yeah. green used to be, it's not there yeah. anymore. Yeah. Where the, where the sixth green used to be, and it's not there anymore. And so all those greens have been moved. I and mean, there's just so much we don't know about the golf course. So that's a variable. And it should be fun this week because there's a lot of things we'll learn as the week goes on. We're going to learn during the practice rounds how firm the course is, how tough the rough is playing how wide the fairways really are on the runouts if they're hitting and rolling through right. the fairway. We're going to learn if you can putt from above the hole. You know, we're going to see, because walking, it's a hilly golf course too. Yeah. You know, so some of that, you're going to have a lot of uneven lines in the fairways, yeah. which is kind of interesting. And then you got these guys that we know a lot about where their games are. So we have some expectations about how they're going to play. And we'll see if Rory can get it cleaned up. You know, if Scheffler can make anything, if the ROM that can win majors shows up, you know, does Cantley have a big advantage? Because it's a golf course he knows really well, you know, and a lot of guys don't. It's just, it's fun as the week progresses, you get to see kind of where the where the momentum's going. And it could be a dark horse. Who's the dark horse, Larry? I know you have one so, in mind. So I, yeah, I do. So I'm going to, so, so I, I'm with you in terms of the favorite on Scheffler. Um, it's just the ball striking has been so peerless and, I can't believe he's not going to get the putting figured out at least to a level. Cause I always thought he had, it was an excellent putter. I mean, yeah. I, you know, you don't, you don't be at that level without being an excellent putter generally, but I mean, I, 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 I would not at all be surprised. I mean, you know, just to pause on him for one second. I mean, he's so close. As great as he's finished. I mean, you know, we forget, right. Cause everyone celebrates Matt Fitzpatrick. I mean, and talk about short par threes, which, you know, we have the 15th This could play as little as 80 yards. Um, you know, the 11th at uh, Brookline, which, you know, is a course I'm familiar with, is 100 yards, 110 yards. You know, he makes that double, bo he makes a bogey one day, a double bogey on Saturday, loses the tournament by one shot. He was right there at the U.S. Open. He's been there so much. I mean, he could easily have three or four majors, um, you know, instead of the one that he has. But anyways, I, I you know... It's so funny. I, I look at those feet moving all over the place and I just, you know, as you would, you know, there's a lot of funk there in that, in that mm -hmm. motion, but it works. Um, and um, it, the, the ball striking is just so good. So I, I'm with you as a favorite. I'm going to come at left field at you a little bit um, on the, 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 the dark horse, so to speak. Um, so uh, and I'll tee it up for you this way. You know, going into the Masters, 
I was sort of thinking, God, these live guys, yes, of course, they're still great. But I mean, if you're not competitively sharp, um, you know, and you're, how can you be competitively sharp playing these 54 hole exhibitions at these like nondescript golf courses? And, you know, and we saw what Brooks did and, and, you know, and Phil and others. I'm going to watch out for Cam Smith this week. Um, I think that I was really impressed watching him at Augusta. Um, I think I will not soon forget, I'm sure you must have seen it, that fairway wood he hit out of the fairway bunker on eight, you know, hits like 270 uphill. I mean, that was just mind-boggling to me. Um, I know what a great putter he is. It's a wide golf course, just like St. Andrews. Um, not quite as wide as St. Andrews, but you know what I mean. And I just um I think he's so creative. He's got such good hands. I, uh, I, I'm, I would, I'm, wouldn't be surprised if he does well. Um, you know, Cantley that you mentioned certainly knows the course, but cheapers, creepers, he's got such a nondescript record in majors. Um, I would have said if we were talking six months ago, Max Homa, you know, is kind of the home guy and stuff, but he doesn't seem to have have this sharp game these days. So, um, I'm going to bypass those two local guys and give you Cam Smith as my dark horse. Interesting. Interesting. I think he hasn't, he hasn't done much this year, you know, but there's no doubting his talent. I mean, plus he can putt. So if it becomes a wee bit of a shootout where you got to make some birdies, he might be, he might be the right choice because he can get a little crooked off the tee. And this course might let him do that. Exactly what I'm thinking. Right. He, he exactly driving. I think is probably the weakest part of his game. Mm-hmm. Um, and boy, he is a putter. He yeah. can, he is a phenomenal putter. So it'll be interesting, right? We'll see what happens. Yeah. I, I'm, I was disappointed in Sam Burns. He let me down. I know. I remember you mentioned him. He had a, he had a decent run going, but we'll see if, if we get a little bit more out of Terrell Hatton. I mean, I'll be rooting for him one way or the other, but I might as well pick it because he's just too much fun. He is fun to watch. He is fun to watch. He's animated, to put it mildly, right? He's he's often not happy with himself. That is for sure. Um, But it'll it'll be it'll be great to see. And Brady, always great talking with you. And um, are you going to be out there at all this week? I am. I'm going to go out there Tuesday for the practice round, and then I might head back out there on Friday. Um, as well so you got a winning score in mind larry um yeah i i i'm gonna be stunned if this isn't comfortably under par um and um you know so i will go i mean they're playing this par 70 right so i will go with um i will go with 275 five under par interesting Okay, I'm I'm gonna go with nine under. Wow, you're thinking they're gonna have their way with it. I do. I think somebody's gonna do something low. Is so I, I should know this. I'm gonna be embarrassed. We'll end on this is this sort of the record. Is it it's Tiger with at Pebble? Is it two seventy two? What's the what's the record for the US Open? Well, Tiger was because they played it at par 71. Right. He was 13. so that's 284. Was he 13 or 12? I, I thought he, he was, won by 15 no, shots. You're right. 12 under. So that's 272. 
Yeah. So you're predicting an all-time record. I just I feel like the front nine is going to be. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I, I, I you know, taking advantage of, and I just don't know that the weather is going to cooperate to firm things up enough. You know, like in order for the in order for the scores to not go really low, you you either have to have one of several things. The rough's got to be really difficult to play from, and the fairways have to be tight. Those are probably not the case, right? The fairways aren't tight, and the rough's not that hot. It's not fun to be in, but I don't think it's the end of the world. The greens are going to have to be really firm, and the winds have to, have to blow. I don't see the wind blowing at all, and I don't think the greens are going to get as firm as they would be had had it baked a little bit. Right. So, and it's not you know length is never an issue anymore for these guys. You not for these. I th I think they played it longer for the Walker Cup. I, I mean, you so know, I, I, I was surprised that you're right. The, the yardage isn't like crazy long. Certainly not by certainly not like what Tory and some of these other ones have been recently. You're right. Somebody's going to shoot 65 the first round. Yeah, it'll be five under, and I think after round two, it'll probably the lead will be somewhere around six. You know, and then it'll get tougher over the weekend. But if somebody throws 67 or 66 out of the weekend and they were near the lead, I can see nine being the number. So hey, you heard it here first. A new U.S. Open record. That's my guess right now. We will check back in with you. Brady, always great talking with you. Uh, should be a lot of fun week. We'll we'll watch it and uh, we'll see what unfolds. You got it. Okay, thanks, Brady.